Welcome to the Highland Good Food Podcast. I'm Laura Dorrant and today we're going to be hearing reflections on COP26 from the people who were there. Last summer, the Highland Good Food Partnership was invited to partake in the COP by Nourish Scotland, a charity that takes a whole system approach to food policy and practice. With the conference being held in Glasgow and through our contributions to Nourish's Fork to Farm project, we were given a fantastic opportunity to connect with other regional food groups from around the world, whilst getting our voice heard globally. Nourish's Fork to Farm project culminated in a global dialogue event that happened at the COP. This event brought farmers and food producers together with policy and change makers to engage in meaningful dialogue regarding local and global food systems. So let's get started by hearing from Diana Garduno Jimenez, a Food Justice Project Officer from Nourish Scotland. It's lovely to speak to you today. Um, would you kindly just introduce yourself and tell us about a little about your role at Nourish? Uh, so my name is Diana Garduño Jimenez and I work with Nourish Scotland as a food justice project officer. Um, so within my work, I work specifically on the topics of food insecurity. And in the past year, I've been focusing on our work at COP26, uh, specifically around supporting facilitators running local fork to farm dialogues that have been bringing together primary producers and local authorities around the world to have conversations about food and climate change. Uh, and Nourish, what Nourish does is specifically um, try to make sure that the way that we approach food is through a whole systems approach, so that when we think about food, it's not only about agriculture and land use, but also about food in relation to health, in relation to animal welfare, uh, to workers' rights. And what we try to make, um, what well, what we work for is to make sure that the food system is good for both people and planet. And we do this at different scales. So from a community level to a policy level and trying to make sure that we have the, the systems in place so that we can make sure that our food system is fair, healthy and sustainable. So it sounds like Nourish um, have an understanding of the connection between food systems and climate change. It sounds like that's already happening within Nourish. Um, so with regards to your experiences at the COP, regarding food system, whether that's on a local uh, level or on a global scale, was there anything at the COP that uh, really left you feeling outraged? I think something that left many of us involved around food outrage was that um, well, food wasn't one of the main agenda topics at COP26. Um, but I think something that really left me specifically with a feeling of outrage was um, I was able to go into the blue zone in the last last couple of days that, was, that I was involved at COP. And there was a really strange feeling in the way that the room was set up in that it felt very removed from... Uh, from the environment, from systems, kind of from things that we're trying to work for. So, so what I mean by that is that 
uh, for example, there was no, there was no like, like barely any kind of like plants or kind of like the kind of food that we would want to be eating in a more sustainable future. So I felt like the way that the room was set up really did not embody the things that we were working for. Um, so that just sounded like there's a bit of a detachment going on. There was talk about food system, but no um, recognition, no representation of the land where the food comes from. Yeah, exactly. It felt, it felt quite removed, and uh, yeah, and I think those, yeah, it just felt, it yeah, it felt, it felt very removed. Uh, whereas outside, where there were many like civil society and communities, it felt like there was a a greater connection, um, with the places and the people that we need to we need to work with to make this sustainable and just transition. Okay, so I'm getting a sense of that that there was life outside of the blue zone, but not necessarily <laughs> in the blue zone. Yeah, I mean, it just yeah, I think it just felt yeah, it just felt very removed and something that you know to me it's like how can we get people to feel inspired about this in this in this kind of very very removed environment. Yeah. And so you've just mentioned community there. Um, so if we move on to what you experienced at the COP that left you feeling optimistic, um, would you tell me a little bit about that that feeling? Yeah, well, <laughs> as I was saying, like the things that I was seeing outside left me feeling quite optimistic, seeing so many people interested and ready to to go and like and make their voices heard. That was really inspiring and encouraging. Something inside the blue zone, and I know that this is, I mean, I guess the blue zone was a bit contradictory in some ways. Some things were really interesting. Some things, as I was saying, were a bit just felt removed from reality. But one thing that I really found optimistic in the blue zone was that, um, even though food wasn't specifically like in the agenda, there were events, many side events that were bringing the role of food into the into the event. And one of the events that I uh, that I went to had a woman who was working with Aboriginal food systems, a woman from Mexico who was also involved with Mexican indigenous food systems, um, and a woman from Nigeria who was um, leading the space. And there was also a man from from England from the NFU. Um, but something that I that really gave me optimism there was that we were having these these different food systems, uh, indigenous food systems being talked about next to each other. And that to me was something quite new to hear about Aboriginal food systems while we were hearing about Mexican food systems and while we were hearing about Nigerian Yoruba food systems. And one thing there that was really, really beautiful was that the woman from Nigeria shared how there is this conception in Yoruba that no one holds like all of the knowledge on something, but that when you meet someone, um, you always come with like half of the knowledge. Like you can never have more than half of knowledge because the other person will always bring the rest. So sharing this kind of understandings of, of knowledge to me was really, really optimistic because in the case of a food system, a lot of the time we we have this idea that there is only one right way to do food um, and that 
it should be in like very like high productivity, high exports, and that's something that's imposed on others. Whereas sharing these other ways of relating with knowledge was really interesting because it brought forward this idea of like there are multiple ways of doing things and different people hold different parts of knowledge that should be brought to the table. Yeah, that's lovely. I've heard that before and um, it links to all the threads that that we talk about, you know, with community and ancestry and even though there's so such diversity across the globe, in fact, um, these these threads go through every local food system. And was there recognition of the um, like interconnectedness or was there recognition of similar um, yeah, challenges or solutions or things like that? Was there any discussion around that? Yeah, definitely. And that was really nice to really nice to hear and to see how the woman from Mexico and the woman from Australia were were nodding at what each other were saying. And we're seeing, for example, how how language language was a very strong point of like different words being used in indigenous languages in both places that show just words that capture a different way to relate with the natural world. So maybe, for example, a word that doesn't see humans separate from nature, but that um, focus, focuses more on their relationships. So it was, yeah, it was really nice to see that there were many connections being made across across these different people. And what's really nice to hear is that we've been talking for about 10 minutes and you've spoken a lot more about what's left you feeling optimistic than you have so far about what's left you feeling outraged. So that's a lovely, that's really good. I'm feeling optimistic because of that. <laughs> um, so moving, kind of moving the lens sort of away from COP then, you know, COP26, so much went into it. Um, There's this huge event involving so many people and we're on the other side of it now. And we're looking at where we go from here. Um, on a global scale obviously um, because it's a UN climate conference but on you know we also operate on a day-to-day on our local scale Um, so again just thinking about what you're feeling in more of a general context with relation to our food systems either globally and locally um, what what do you what do you generally feel a bit outraged about? So I think, yeah, something that has actually been coming up in my day to day quite, quite often as I meet with different people is um, this idea um, that there is, again, and I I think it's really interesting because it's, again, what we saw at, at COP in different ways. So at COP, there was this idea of like, oh, we need to find like a sustainable diet for everyone and everyone must follow this sustainable diet. But again, very removed from realities that a sustainable diet will need some, mean something completely different in one place, whereas in another. And post-COP and in my day-to-day life, um, I've met many people who constantly either ask me if I'm vegan uh, or not. And then when I say that I'm not, I get a very strong response of like, oh, so what you're doing is completely wrong or you are a bad person because of this. Uh, and this is what everyone should be doing. Everyone should be vegan because that is the right way to do things. Um, and that's something that really outrages, uh, causes like feelings of outrage. Oh, uh, sorry, difficult word <laughs> of outrage for me. Yeah, because um, and it's the same. I feel this idea that we can dictate 
what people eat and say what is good and what is bad is something that I I really struggle with um in some I know I know it's a very a very complex topic um but there are so many different reasons for why people eat what they eat and I think it can yeah I think it's just something that requires a lot more nuance when we're speaking about it rather than instantly saying something is something is wrong or something is right yeah I know what you mean it's and by by saying you know this is the way and it fits everyone and this is what we should be doing we're actually dividing society rather than working together aren't we yes and in the end it's it's a very colonial practice as well because you're imposing a set of a set of ways of doing things without really engaging and understanding why there might be other ways to do things. Um I think of course there are um like yeah, there are I think there's just a lack of understanding that there's other ways in which we can, for example, eat meat or in which meat is produced that are definitely sustainable and that can enhance ecosystems in different ways. And I think there's there just needs to be more nuanced around, around these kind of relationships. And while still, of course, still trying to, like, of course, stepping away from this mass industrial uh, food complex that really is terrible for animal welfare and that really causes a lot of, of climate change, well, of like greenhouse gases emissions and stuff like that. Um, I still think there's different ways of producing food and relating with food that mean that there's different solutions and different ways of eating rather than one being imposed for everyone. Thanks, Diana. Um, so finally, let's finish with what you're feeling optimistic about. <laughs> let's finish on a positive note. Um, so something that I'm feeling really optimistic about, um, so as I said about in the beginning, I've been working with the Fork to Farm project and the Fork to Farm local dialogues. Um, so at COP, well, sorry, it's, it's at COP, but it really made me, <laughs> like it's post-COP reflections. Sure. Um, but so we were having these dialogues across different countries on like food and climate change. Uh, and so Post this event, I've been reading all of the different notes and the conversations that were going on in the different rooms where, for example, there were farmers from the Philippines speaking with farmers from from Nigeria and then people from Mexico speaking with people in Scotland and sharing their, yeah, their, their things that, that worry them, that make them feel passionate around food and climate change. And one of the things that has really struck out for me and that is really optimistic and I think is really beautiful is that there is this desire to change the way in which we see the identity and the role of farmers. So going from a very colonial Western perspective where farmers are seen somewhat as as backwards or some as something that we used to do a long time ago, but that we should move away from now because it's not a modern day activity. It, to seeing farmers as as something that's very much necessary for building the sustainable present that we all that we want to live in. And farmers as caretakers of diverse systems around the world. Um 
and I think this yeah I think this is a really beautiful thing that is emerging from from that project and in different parts of the world and I think it is really tightly related to a growing awareness of the need to to take decolonial approaches in how we're moving towards more sustainable futures so that's something that leaves me really uh, feeling really optimistic. I loved hearing about what Deanna witnessed at the COP, about indigenous food systems from different regions of the world being spoken about together, and how, in some indigenous cultures, the fact that no one holds all the knowledge is an accepted and respected view. I can't help think that if this were the dominant global view, and the view taken by all of the world's governments, then we wouldn't be in the mess we're currently in. Let's hear now from Martina Manturola, from the Colectivo Masico, a female-founded collective on the outskirts of Mexico City, whose vision of inclusive and diverse food systems highlights the need to start from a place of abundance, not scarcity. Hi, Martina. Hi, Laura. Um, it's so nice to talk to you. Could you kindly start by just introducing yourself and, and the work that you do with the, the Colectivo, please? Sure. Well, my name is Martina Manterola. I'm from Mexico City. And um, me with some, uh, a group of women, we found uh, a, a Colectivo called Colectivo Masijo. Uh, so we are a group of women um, from different places in Mexico, from different ages and different professions. And we united in our willingness to actively ref reflect on food and where the food were, was coming. And when I mean ref active reflection was through cooking together as well, no? And we're, when we start cooking together, we understand that we were able to take care of the people, of the territory, of our, our relations through cooking and celebrating, no? So we understood how also women who cook for people, who cook for themselves, they're making, um, how can I explain? They're like putting, like they're, we are talking about care, no? And how this care is, is something that we have to start putting more in front. So we start to to record like uh, these women who were close to the land that were uh, cooking, that were growing food. And we understood that, um, that also they were like, to listen to them, we were understanding how the diversity of the territory, how the rhythms of the territory were appearing and how they, they were like changing the culture of scarcity that we were living in, you know, the people, the more the more urban people. But at the same time, listening through, through their voices, we were finding how they knew the real cost of climate change, how they knew like the real degradation of the territory, the collapsing of the ecosystems. So we understood that we had to do, you know, at the same time, it's, it's 
a way that we can start to talk about how we are going to re regenerate the life, how we are going to regenerate the, the soil, because how can we do it if we don't know what has been lost, you know? Yeah. Um, it's interesting uh -huh. that you started with community. So you started with the group first, and then that led you to this uh, looking at regeneration of the land and food. Is that, am I correct? In thinking yes, that? Uh, totally. Because, and I think that that's a very important thing to talk now in capitalism, no? That for us to make, you know, we all, always have this burden of the what we are going to do like an individual, no? What are going to be our choices? Yeah. And we have all this burden inside that because at the end we can't do anything, no? It's so big, the, the system. So what we have to shift it is from like starting to build community and to in with this community, and and I think something super important when we talk about community is also about working together to, uh, to a goal, not to a common goal, and in this case was food, no. So working together to to in community to this common um, goal, it was as a way of of making strategies together, no. And for me, that's what is being doing politics at the end. Mm -hmm. Because then you can, you know, you are starting to make net networks and start to rethink life and you start to rethink how the strategies that you want to create in order to inhabit life, no? You can't see me, but I'm nodding and I'm I'm smiling <laughs> and this is, um, <laughs> listening to you really makes my heart feel very full. So <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you for sharing that. Um, showing me a beautiful picture of, of your community and... I just want to come and visit. I really do. <laughs> yes, please come. You are completely invited. Because also what happened in COP was making community of people that were we are talking the same language at the end. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the community of practice that we're now a part of is exactly that. Um, you know, we speak different cultural languages, huh. but we speak the same language of, of community and and care respect and everything so um yeah it's lovely to have these connections across the globe exactly um, uh -huh. and so can we go to the cop were you in glasgow yeah i had the opportunity to go to glasgow in person we were for the two weeks and we were very focused mm -hmm. on on uh, nourishing scotland and the global dialogues and farm talk to farm because that was the project that we were working for one year but we had the opportunity to go to to work as well with a art residency, uh, like one hour away from uh, Glasgow, to to talk as well as, as how art can be a I don't know a ground to start to also to put these um, problems in the center, no, of, of the degradation of the territory of, or of taking care, etc. But we were to a dinner one day in the cup when there was all these people from like very important um, ON, how to say ONGs, uh, non-governmental organizations. And it was very interesting to talk to them because they like, I saw the, the this gap, this super big gap between these organizations that were in the blue zone, that were like finding fundings for, for them and the global dialogues. Like it was the, the first time where I, when I realized that 
when we were talking about food in the same place that was the cop, okay. the Glasgow, but we were talking two different, completely two different languages, like two different dialects, two different conversations. So um, I, I didn't, I didn't go to Glasgow, but I've heard people reference the blue zone a number of times now. So I'm getting an impression of, of, yeah, like the, it's almost like it was a different world and, um, mm-hmm directly linked to your experience at the COP um, what left you feeling outraged and what left you feeling really optimistic? First I was super optimistic no? because the first encounter that I had with people was from the I, I for, for me it was the first time that somebody was speaking and I was like truly understanding everything and feeling what they were feeling you know and it was at the same time time very very sad because we had the same problem no like the loss of indigenous seeds the degradation of the soil the privatization of the land but as well we were like introducing like the te- the other technology that we of how we are taking care of the land of how we are um, like healing no and you know having some people from peru uh, telling how they they are managing the terra so they they the, the soil is fer- is more fertile or how they're, you know, and it was all through diversity. And for me, that was like, uh, uh, so, so amazing. No? And how, you know, even the, the methods of how they, they, they uh, grow food, they were different, everything, even the clothes that they were wearing, they were like different and they were connected to, to, to the land. No? So for me, it was understanding like the, this, how it's all so interrelated, no? The culture, the earth, the territory, the practice to through and everything comes from, you know, the land that you are in. Like I didn't feel alone as well, no, that we have we like we are a group of people united together against something that is the same, that is the homogenization of of life. Yeah. And for me that was a feeling of of not of not like not feeling alone mm. and one thing that like really was amazed we were talking you know in, in these dialogues about about our worries no and everybody was like i'm worried about uh, food making it, what, that is making on a lab i'm worried about the seeds i'm worried about women i'm worried like we were so worried and then uh, uh, a scottish farmer uh, called howard just say like well, you don't have to be worried about that. You have to be worried about people that don't love food anymore. So I like that's why why I, I understand we we are so in a in an economic systems that we are like losing our our, our way of seeing stuff through love and through pleasure and through you know the the feelings that. And I was like, of course, we have to re-enchant the world. We have to make people really love food, no? Because and when you talk with a farmer, it's like everything is about pleasure, you know? They were talking about how they love to go to the earth, to the uh, through the land and how they see the insects coming up and how they see the rain and how everything is about love and pleasure. So because it's horrible what is happening to, to in the world, but how we can start talking about the another narrative through love and i absolutely agree it's a fundamental for our survival is eating we need to eat food 
every single person. We can't survive nutrition, without nutrition. So what left you feeling outraged? Was there anything you experienced at the COP that really just you felt very angry about? Mm, yes. Well, the, the first one was um, about how the, the, we, were, we were to this dinner and I had the opportunity to speak with like some, some I, I don't even remember where, in which organization they were working, but like UNICEF, WWF, and they were, they were, the way they were addressing the, the issue about food system is through, mm-hmm. again, how can we are going to make all the humanity eat, no? Like from this story of a scarcity of human hunger of, and I'm like, okay, it's, we have to speak about this, of course, it's a, a super important problem, but first of all, we have to start thinking about who is owning the land and who is, uh, how are we producing food, no? Like, how, how can you come to hear from your, you know, it was a, a, a when I told, t- tell him that I was from Mexico, he was like, oh no, the, there is so much disnutrition in Mexico. And I was like, of, of course they, there is, but the problem is not this, this nutrition. The problem is the access to land. So how can we access the problem of, of, of giving food to everybody when the land is getting every time more privatized and getting to, into the hands of little and more, uh, how do you say, uh, like big uh, places of land is getting to to more big uh, companies and more big production. So at the end, people are, have not this access to land. And at the same time, you are putting the food in, in, this, in this market where they are not, you're, you're not gaining money from that, from living about taking care of, of growing food. You're destroying every single like system of autonomy there is in the they are destroying every like system of autonomy there is in in you know in in a small scale food system and i'm not talking only in mexico we were visiting as well these uh, farmers in scotland and they were like we have the same issues no how how growing food it's it's every time more fragmentation every time is more isolated isolating and and how they want to you know like the the answer to this problem of how we are going to feed humanity is through making it was through making a menu of how what does those people needs to eat to have all the calories yeah no again it's from this quantitative uh, mm-hmm. uh, place from this homogenizing place and where, where for me the solution talking to farmers that are working with food was from love and diversity. Yeah. So it was like, why are we are not listening to the people that are like very close to the land that are addressing these issues and they're not saying we need food. They're saying we need to take care of the food system that we have that are dying, no? Yeah. And so, uh-huh. It's like we're still stuck in this mindset that we have to come up with a, a solution and that one solution is the solution for everybody and then we and then we impose it on people around the world instead of there being any kind of empowerment or access as you say 
one of our local um, growers, a vegetable grower in our dialogue group, he, he has exactly the same, says the biggest challenge we face here is access to land. You know, they're lucky, they're a family business and they've got this piece of land and it's not hugely spacious, but they, they produce a lot on the, the land that they have. But, you know, in order to make um, the the business viable, you know, it's it's um, it's it's very hard and access to land is their biggest yeah challenge. So. OK, so can we move on? Um, and now the cop has passed. You you're back in Mexico and. I presume that you've done lots of processing, <laughs> lots of thinking about all the experiences you had and and how the the feelings that that's left you now have you got anything more to say about now that the cop has passed is there anything now that you're feeling um like a renewed optimism about or is there anything in your local system that you feel really optimistic about is there anything in your local system that you feel really outraged about or um yeah, would you like to just kind of expand on what you've been saying uh, now that the COP has passed, that you're back in your your regional area? What What's coming up for you now? Mm. Well, the, the first thing that for me it's also very optimistic is like the relationship that we created in the COP, no? That, yeah. Like, and we, are, we had already a meeting and we were like... Uh, you know, everybody was like again, like we can, um, we can like this make it pass, no? Like we we have to meet again and again and again and still talking and talk about what is happening all around the world. So for me, it's super important important to you know to keep this relationship, to keep to talk again and again and again to to you know just share what is happening, share strategic, share what everything no so we can still even you know what of what i was talking before about not feeling alone and about you know talking to people that are interesting in the same thing that you because sometimes it can get really bad like you 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 think that you are crazy and that you're you know that what you're doing doesn't make any sense because if because the dominant narrative is totally another is another narrative no so for me just like talking to them and and also some like one of the most amazing thing that happened is that in, in peru we, well for me one of the most beautiful things it's that we spoke with this community in peru that grows through, through terraces and they grow this way since the inca empire that is i don't know it has to have like uh, uh, 1000 years uh, practice and or or more and the the way they grow food is the same food that they were growing in in Milpalta that are the outskirts of Mexico City like the the more you know where the mountains are mm-hmm. and you know for me it was like we and nobody's growing that way anymore but it was like but there are people who are growing that can come and teach us again how to do it no like through this con- like through this connection, I was like, okay, this hasn't died because there are some places that they are still using it, no. And they were t- telling me about how how they are managing the soil, how they are 
and it's so crazy because it's like a, a lab. They're creating potatoes. They're putting the seeds in different levels, so they're seeing if they're they need more water, less water. So you know they're they're making the most resilient food ever because they have so many climates in so a small place of land with more water less. So what they're creating is totally a lab, and we can like replicate this in in Mexico, no? And I, I were, they have an alliance of of high. Uh, I don't remember the name, but it's like through all the world in how they cultivate in, in the mountains, you know, in not very like plain terrains. So it was like, okay, I want to go unite because we worked a lot with this place in Mexico. Like we want, to, I want to work more with them. I want to like re, but for uh, like, I don't know, like how can we make this happen again mm -hmm. in Milpalta as well? No, because that's also our, they are really, really making something for the future of food. Yeah, because it's inspiring and it's um, reminding us to not give up that it is possible. If we can, if we can, if we can have the vision. We, we can see it in our in our minds. Then we can, we can make it happen. And, uh -huh. and also, I like really realize that the the change is not going to come from above. It's going to come yeah. from. That, uh, how do you say abajo from the ground from the people yeah, from the ground from, from the people who are working the land yeah absolutely and that's what we have to think how how can we help them to make bigger communities make you know policies but from the above and i think the Policies change when there are enough people on the ground uh, rising up. You know, policy yes. it does affect policy mm -hmm. totally. And it and it you know you say you show you can show like this is the change we've made. This is what's possible. Here's a model. Here's a working model. It worked. And then you know that's where the pressure on the policymakers can can come in. But if you can work with the policymakers, you know, at the same time, then even better. But um, it, yeah. Yeah, well, we were working. We we went to present this this work about um, a project we did in in a contemporary museum with, where we brought brought like producer from Milpalta to, mm. and we had the help of the government. And when we spoke with the producer, they were like, "If you if you want to work with the government, I'm not going to work with you because they have done this to me. They have." Like, all the violence they have committed, like they're changing, you know, Milpalta is, is has they're they're protecting the land so much because they have because you can construct in this place because they have reached like a, a reserva. I don't know how you say it. Uh, you know, you can construct like anything because they have there's like protection. A, yes, exactly. They have a title from to the land that is only for growing food. Okay. So, but now the government is changing that land because at the end, that's still in Mexico City, no? So the land mm -hmm. there costs so much and people are like, you know, growing food. So the thing that the government is doing, it's also the state is doing, it's like so much violence and how they're trying to come together to make new plants. But like they're super organized and super united. So they, they, you know they have so many works, uh, workshops, and to you know to let know people that they have to defend their land. Yeah. 
so it, I was like, okay, so it's so complicated, like so so complicated. Yeah, yeah. There's it, there there are no easy easy solutions. I hope you enjoyed being in conversation with Diana and Martina as much as I did. They both spoke with such determination about making positive and inclusive changes to our food systems. And the message I got from both of them is that this can be done when we start with community. We're at the end of part one of this post-COP reflection and I do hope you'll join us for part two. Many thanks to you all for joining us today and to Diana and Martina for sharing their experiences, reflections and insights so generously. And as always, you can join the conversation by visiting highlandgoodfood.scot and by following us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. See you in part two. Bye for now.